Morning, guys. How are you doing? I'm glad you are here today. Uh, we're going to uh, be in part four of a series we've been in for, uh, well, four weeks. And uh, if, I'm going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you've got your Bible up, the 1 Samuel, your Bible app, we'll get there in just a minute. I'm asking the ushers to come now and we'll take our offering. Uh, we do this as an act of love and worship for God. If you're a guest, guest today, though, uh, sometimes people get a little weird about money. Don't feel like we're trying to twist your arm. Let the service be our gift to you. Don't feel obligated to give it all. But for those of you that call this your church home, let's give to support what Jesus is doing because we love him. Like I mentioned, we're in part four of our series, uh, Finding Answers in the Hard Times. And today, we're going to take a look at how to deal with disappointment. And I don't know anybody who hasn't gone through disappointment, uh, some of you even recently. I want you, in fact, to think about, though, the last time someone or something disappointed you. When someone or something disappointed you. When life failed to satisfy a hope, a desire, or an expectation. It might have happened yesterday. might have happened last week. might have been, you know, years ago. But most disappointment comes in the face of experiencing a loss. If you think about it, we have unmet expectations or something that we had is taken from us. Loss of finances, loss of a job, a loss of a relationship, a loss of a dream, uh, or the loss of a victory in sports. I was a little disappointed last night that the Ducks did not win. That would have been awesome to have the Ducks in there with the, the, the Zags in the final. But um, you can imagine how that team must have felt. They lost by one point. Those guys experienced some loss, and there's disappointment. One of the things that happens when we experience loss is we begin to have a loss of self. It's kind of a weird thing that when we lose stuff or lose things or we're disappointed in life, sometimes we lose ourselves in the midst of it. We don't even know who we are anymore. Or we question ourselves or we question God even. And that loss sense of destiny and direction can be the greatest sense of loss at all that most of us have gone through. Again, reality is life is often filled with disappointing moments. And I'm not bringing that up to disappoint you or to frustrate you, or to, to make you depressed today, but it's just a reality that a lot of us face this on a regular basis. And I prayed with several people after the first service and talked with a bunch of folks and said, man, I need to hear that today because this is where I'm at. Well, since dealing with disappointment is a reality that we all have to face, I think it's probably wise for us to take uh, some time this morning and to talk about how to deal with disappointment. If it happens, and it does, then what do we do when it comes in, in, into our realm, into our world? I'm going to give you a snapshot of uh, the life of David. He's one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. His story is found in 1 Samuel 16. If you knew the Bible, it's Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. And uh, we're going to be 1 Samuel. We'll get to verse 16, uh, chapter 16 in just a moment. But as we've done each week in this series, we, I'm going to give you kind of a 30,000-foot overview, uh, uh, a snapshot of our main character, and his name again is David. David was the eighth son of Jesse's sons. He was the youngest boy. And he began his life as a shepherd from Bethlehem. Two things you need to know about that. Shepherd, not a big deal, not in that culture, not now. Was not a highly esteemed occupation. He was a shepherd. He was from Bethlehem. Back then, as is the case now, Bethlehem really was not that, that special. A small town. Point being is David's pretty much a nobody from nowhere. And then one day the prophet Samuel shows up. And that's this story here in 1 Samuel 16. And David is called out from the fields where he's taking care of his father's sheep. And before he knows it, he's being anointed the next king of Israel. And I'm sure David's going, what? I don't, this is weird. And, and, but the prophet's anointing him. And uh, d- by the way, doing so without the knowledge of the current king, a guy named Saul. You can imagine how that might have set up some tension later on. And it did. Everyone, including Samuel, to be quite honest, was a bit surpi- surprised that God chose David. But God made his perspective clear on this. In fact, it's a verse that may be familiar to you. It's found in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Look at verse 7. 
The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's one of the truths, great truths from the scriptures. And it's true throughout the word of God, that God does not look at the outward appearance. He's not impressed with how beautiful or how handsome you are. He's not impressed with the clothes you wear. He's not impressed with your stature or your, your, your value, quote unquote, among men. He cares about our hearts. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. We judge each other on the outward signs all the time. But the Lord looks at the heart. And we know from the scriptures that David had a heart after God's. After this encounter with Samuel, David simply returns to taking care of the sheep. And I kind of like that part of the story. Uh, I mean, he gets anointed by Samuel the prophet, and everybody's kind of like, what's going on? I understand. And next thing we know, David's back taking care of his father's sheep. One day, Jesse, the dad, says, hey, come here, David. I need you to take some, some cheese and crackers. Take some food to your brothers. Three of his older brothers were part of uh, Saul's army, the Israelite army, and they were facing off against the Philistine army. And things were not going really well, but uh, Jesse said, take some food to your brothers. David shows up. The story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And what does he hear? He hears this big old ugly nine-foot-tall bronze-armored beast of a man called Goliath cursing and defying the living God. And David is not happy. It pushes every button in him. He's thinking, this is not the way it should be. This isn't right. And so he goes and he says, I can, I, let me have that guy. And everybody says, you're going to be, his brothers, even some brothers get mad at him. But if you know the story, it's one of my favorites. I learned it as a little boy. David, with a slingshot and five smooth stones, goes and kills Goliath, cuts off his head. It's definitely rated R. Cuts off his head and brings it to the king. So David, from that point on, his shepherding days are over. And King Saul eventually makes David a commander of his troops because David has success in battle and the Lord is with him. And then the other thing that happens is David forms this deep bond, this friendship with uh, Saul's son, the prince, and his name is Jonathan. But here's where the struggle begins because Saul becomes jealous of David and his success in battle. And he doesn't like David anymore and decides he's going to kill him, which is in 1 Samuel 18. David ends up fleeing from Saul. So you got to understand, he didn't choose this life. He's anointed. He goes. God sets this thing up. He kills Goliath. Now he's part of Saul's entourage, and he's a commander now. And then the next thing you know, Saul's trying to kill him. And David ends up fleeing for his life. And that story is pretty much covered in 1 Samuel chapters 24 through 31. And he's on the run for a long time. Not just 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 months, but for the better part of 10 years. 10 years he's on the run from Saul. Almost half of the Psalms um, are attributed to David. If you just flip your Bible open to the middle, you'll find the Psalms. There's 150 of them. And uh, almost half of them are credited to David as the author. And David, in many of them, has these deep expressions of agony and suffering and frustration. And we see both this agony and hope at times dealing with the difficulties and the disappointments. At times, they're written from this desperate, really disappointing place in David's life where he's confused. He has no idea. God, what is going on? Why is this happening? I don't understand. I'm doing all the right things, but all the wrong things are happening to me. Anybody ever feel that way? And so David is, is often in the Psalms, he ex expresses his, his frustration to God. And the reason why I point that out is because I think a lot of us can relate to David. We too feel exactly the same he does, he does at times, confused, baffled, and disappointed. Life does not always go, huh, rarely goes the way we plan. And so what are the lessons then from David's story? And I, I love it. We did years ago an entire series on the life of David. 
I love this story, but how do we learn from David? What can we learn from him about how to deal with disappointment? I'm going to give you some things to think about. If you want to take notes on the back side of your bulletin, there's an outline. Here's the first thing, first lesson we learned. Number one, remember what God has done in the past when things aren't going the way you want in the present. When faced with disappointment and struggle and difficulty and things are not going the way you want, it's important to remember what God has done in your past when things aren't going the way you want in the present. See, the truth is sometimes we get so focused on what isn't happening now that we lose sight of all the good things that God has done for us. It's what we do. I do it. We get so frustrated with the stuff that's right in our face and all the struggle and all the hardship and all the disappointment and all the things that aren't going the way we want that we get so overwhelmed with them that we forget all the things, the good things that God has done for us. David literally had one horrible thing after another happen to him. And, and you read the story frequently. But David also had these amazing moments of seeing God work in him and through him. He defeated Goliath. And David never forgot that experience. In fact, it's cool because even the fact that he defeated Goliath, he went after him because David, listen, he remembered how God had helped him kill the lion and the bear. So David facing the giant, even of Goliath, and taking him on, he did so because he remembered, wait, God has been with me so many times. I've killed a lion, I've killed a bear, I can take this ugly guy out. David remembered God. He'd been elevated from a simple shepherd, to somebody who nobody knew, to a hero among his people. And God had done some amazing things. And he remembered what the Lord had done for him time and time again. When you and I struggle, when we're in the struggle, it sometimes uh, is overwhelming. It's easy to forget all that God has done in defeating the giants in our lives. And I want to encourage you today to remember. Charles Swindoll, the great preacher and author, who literally wrote a book about David, uh, wrote this. And I quote, he said, so often when facing our own giants, we forget what we ought to remember and we remember what we ought to forget. We remember our defeats and we forget our victories. Man, that's good. Let me read it again. So often when facing our own giants, quote unquote, we forget what we ought to remember and we remember what we ought to forget. We remember our defeats and we forget the victories. By nature, again, human nature, most of us have short memories of the good and long memories of the bad. I don't know why that's the case, but we tend to remember the stuff that was really horrible in our lives. We find ourselves in the middle of a tough situation And instead of remembering how good and faithful and kind and loving and great and strong that God has been to us, we get lost in our present pain. Now, I've said this a couple times during the series. I want to say it again because it's really important that you hear this. By no means am I diminishing your suffering. By no means am I trying to to say it's not that big a deal. If you're struggling, if you're in disappointment, if you're in a valley of darkness right now, a valley, the shadow of death, I get that this is hard for you. And by no means am I saying that's not that big a deal. It's a big deal. But I want to encourage you today to not get lost where all you focus on is the present pain and you forget what God has done for you in the past. I've got a friend who uh, several years ago uh, was losing his business. In fact, it was in the shadow of the Great Recession. He'd started this business from the ground up. He was quite the entrepreneur. He'd, he'd started this, had 40, 50 employees. It was successful for several years, many years actually. And now it's all beginning to crumble and, and, and go you know, to the wayside. And he was, he was struggling. He was frustrated. And we were having coffee together. And he said, Kurt, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I, I, I've got 
you know, a bunch of employees and families, and this is going to impact them. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I'm, I'm kind of getting old, if I can start over again. And then I could almost see this transition in his face. You could see this shift where all of a sudden he began to do what? Remember. He remembered. He said, you know what, Kurt, though? And I hadn't really said anything. I'm just listening. And he said, I've been here before. And I knew, because, again, he's an entrepreneur guy. He's, he, he'd started other things that failed. I said, I've been here before. And God's always proven how faithful he is to me. And then he said this. He said, I guess if God got me through my past, he'll help me through my present. I'll never forget that. I guess if God got me through my past, he'll get me through my present. That's a man who remembered God, who remembered God in the midst of his pain. God was there for me. He'll, he's, he's there for me now. Again, I mentioned the Psalms. David wrote this in Psalm 63. And I want you to listen for where David is remembering God. Listen. Psalm 63, verse 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. David's in a bad place. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I'm looking for you. And there, here's his first moment of memory. Verse 2. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. He said, I've seen you. I I'm here now. It's not good, but I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've seen your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Verse 5 says, I will be sat fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And here's the second time David remembers. Verse 6, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. I love this. This picture of David laying in the dark on his bed, and he's remembering the Lord. And it says, I do so, think of you through the watches of the night. You know what that implies? That he was awake during the watches of the night. Been there, done that, so have you. Tossing and turning, unable to sleep. And David says, I'm, in the, I'm thinking about you, it's, it's dark, and I don't know what's gonna happen, and I can't go to sleep. But here, I remember you, he said, because you're my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. David remembered God. He says, God, this is not a good thing I'm in. This is, this is not fun, but I've seen you, and I've beheld, I've, I've looked, I've experienced your power and your glory in the darkest of nights, and that's why I'm gonna cling to you. I was writing this talk this week. I, one of the things that struck me is that it's quite possible that some of you would be listening to this and thinking, well, that's fine for David, but I've never had any Goliath-defeating experiences. I don't have anything good to recall. And I just want to, again, gently and humbly, can I suggest that if you are a Christ follower, if you've given your life to Jesus, that there are some great things that he has done for you. Once you were lost, but now you're found. Once you were trapped and bound by sin, but now you're free. Once you were without eternal hope, but now you have eternal hope and eternal life in him. If God never did anything else for me but that, then that's way more than I deserve. Let's just say I live to be 90 or 100 years old, and I don't remember my name, let alone yours. But let's just say I'm old, old, old guy, and, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, man, I, I, don't, I look back at my life and all these decades, and I'm thinking, I can't think of a whole lot of things where I saw the presence and the power of God. If I, but, but here's the one thing I, I could always land on and always say, I know he loves me. I know he saved me. I know I have eternal life. And that's way more than I deserve. And that's enough. At the very least, remember what God has done for you and his goodness and his love for you. This life is hard sometimes. It really is, I know. It's full of disappointments, but critical to surviving that, that struggle 
Surviving the seasons of difficulty is remembering what God has done for you. Stop and remember what the Lord has done. Here's the second thing, number two, the second thing we can learn from David's story. When struggling with disappointment in life, learn to lean on a godly friend who cares. I almost want to break into the song, lean on me. I won't, I won't put you through that. But when struggling with disappointment in life, learn to lean on a godly friend who cares. One of the greatest gifts that you can have through tough times is the gift of an intimate friend. Intimate friends are rare. You may only have one, two, three, maybe if you're lucky, four or five in your lifetime. But their value to you is they're priceless. David had that kind of friend in Jonathan, the king's son. In fact, flip over to 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Jonathan and David had this holy and this powerful love for each other that quite honestly sustained both of them through some very difficult times. And you and I need that kind of relationship. You need that person. And by the way, you need to be that person in someone else's life. But we need to lean on our friends, intimate friends in the, in the, heart, in the, the hard places in the struggle. Most of you have heard me talk about uh, the season in my life, my, my early 20s, when I walked away from God, and it's in my first book. And I've told you the story many times. What I haven't mentioned much is a guy named Scott Bauer. Scott was the young Mary's pastor at the church, Church in the Way, where we were attending. And Scott was the first guy. I had come back to the Lord, come back to my wife. We were in the midst of working through a whole lot of stuff. And it was not easy and Scott was the first guy to reach out to me, put his arm around me and say, I'm here for you, I love you. And he befriended me and he stood by me. And sometimes he got in my face. I remember one day I was, was, I was in the back uh, outside going during a worship service and he happened to be up on the stage and, and he noticed me and I didn't really see him but we had this break, we used to turn and greet one another and, and so uh, he came off the stage, came down to me, got on my face, he said, cut it out. Seriously, in church, got this far from me, he said, cut it out. And, like, and I knew exactly what he was talking about. I was doing this. I was not engaging. I was being cold and harsh and not engaging in my, my heart at all that day in the service. And he got right in my face, but he'd earned the right to be heard. He was a friend who I trusted. God did not create us to face life alone. It's people say, all I need is Jesus. No, you need more than Jesus. And that's not heresy, listen. Jesus himself knows that we need human presence in our lives. We need people. That's why he created the body, the church, the community of faith. Yes, we need him, but we need one another. And God knows how important a good friend is. Somebody we need to lean on. I'm gonna digress just for about five minutes, punch through real quickly some characteristics of a good friend. I think if this matters, then, well, what does a good friend look like? And here's the first thing, letter A. They're willing to sacrifice for you. A good friend. I said you need to lean on a good friend. Well, what's one great quality of a great friend? They're willing to sacrifice for you. 1 Samuel 18, verse 3, And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his, the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, what's going on here? Dave, uh, Jonathan is giving David all the symbols of royalty. All the things that said, I'm the prince, I'm the next king, and Jonathan said, nope, I'm deferring. I'm sacrificing this for you. I love this, that a good friend will literally give you the shirt off his back when you're in need. In fact, no sacrifice is too great for a great friend. Letter B, next thing, they're loyal to the end. A good friend, a great friend is loyal to the end. They're not fair weather friends. 
1 Samuel 19, look at verse 1 of 1 Samuel 19. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. So this is when things had turned. Saul's jealous, angry, mad, and he tells everybody, take David out. And he tells his son, kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, warned David, my father, Saul, is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. Verse 4, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. Jonathan stood up for David. He was loyal to the point where it, it, a lot, you know, if, if I was Jonathan, it would be, you know, dad doesn't like you anymore, David, and I don't want to get between that, so I'm just going to kind of bail on this friendship. But Jonathan stood up for David, literally stood up for David in, in the face of his father. Jonathan was loyal. He was steadfast. He was dependable and devoted to David. And that's what a good friend does when you're in the middle of disappointment and despair. Loyalty. Loyal to the end. I think it's a lost value in our culture, and I think it mattered to God, and it certainly mattered to David. Here's the next thing. Let us see. A, good friend, a great friend. A good friend will encourage you. They will encourage you. Not only will they give their best to you and be loyal, but a good friend knows just what to say and maybe what not to say at just the right time. They'll encourage you. 1 Samuel 23. Flip over to 1 Samuel 23, look at verse 15. It says, while David was at Horish in the desert, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. Okay, this is not a good place for David. Again, Saul's trying to take his life. Verse 16, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be your second, second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. I love here how Jonathan went to David. He sought him out. And that's sometimes what we have to do when our friends are hurting. We have to look for them, go to them. And then Jonathan, what, he did, what did he do? Well, he helped him find strength in God, it says. One translation puts it this way. He encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in the Lord. Jonathan went to David. He sought him out and said, David, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And, and, and he encouraged him. You know, to encourage someone is way more than just saying, hey, hang in there, buddy. Encouragement means to say the right thing at the right time in just the right way to build up our friend. We say just what needs to be said to encourage them and to help them. Maybe it won't be easy for them to hear because sometimes when people are in a funk, they don't want to be encouraged. It's kind of weird. Maybe they need to be corrected and the encouragement is, is something that will challenge them. But a good friend will always point you to God and say just what needs to be said. And so I want to remind you, when life is full of one disappointment after another, lean on a good friend who will encourage you. All right, one last thing I want to briefly cover before we uh, take some more time to worship and share in communion together. Number three, when you're hurting, let it out and express your pain to God. When you're hurting, when you're in a difficult place, when you're disappointed, when you're struggling, don't hold it in. Let it out. And in fact, take it to God. As I mentioned, David is responsible for Almost half of the Psalms, at least 73 of the 150 recorded in the book of Psalms, are accredited to, to David. And a big chunk of them are what we call songs of lament. That just means they're song, psalms of grief and crying out to the Lord. They're written by David in times when he was really struggling. And by the way, I'm just going to tell you right now, if you're going through a hard time, bury yourself in the Psalms. Read the Psalms. Because one of the things you'll see is that David literally struggled with all sorts of life and death issues. And he complained to God. He brought it to God. And yet the Lord met him in his need. 
David was literally in a cave, not figuratively, but literally in a cave hiding from Saul. And it was David's low point in his life. It's where he brought him out. But he wrote this psalm in Psalm 142. In fact, it says, it, the subtitle in Psalm 142 is, When David was in a cave, a prayer. Here's what he wrote. Psalm 142, verse 1. I cry out to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I cry out, he said to the Lord. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. Verse 5 says, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. David always did at least two things. He told God exactly how he felt. He didn't hold back. And the second thing he always did was he trusted in the Lord. He trusted in God to come to his aid. If you read the Psalms, these Psalms of lament, what you'll find is David will often begin by just saying, I don't get this, I don't like this, this isn't the way it should be, this is wrong. God, why don't you smoke them? I mean, it's, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but you'll, you'll find David very honestly complaining to God. And every one of those Psalms, here's what's amazing. Here's the shift he makes at the end. And yet, I will trust in the Lord. But I will put my hope in him. He starts with this honest, very real, raw exchange with God. And then he lands always in the same place. Yeah, that's true. But here's a greater truth. I'll put my hope, my trust in you. David heard enough to admit his need. He was painfully honest with God. Instead of living behind the veneer of happiness, he was vulnerable and real. Like I said, almost raw with the Father. And I trust vulnerable people. People who always live with a veneer of happiness, they make me nervous because they're not real. And David, in the dampness and the darkness of a cave, you've got to just use that God-given imagination. You're in a bad place. You're hiding for your life. And I'm thinking, again, because I don't like spiders. By the way, I read some this week that there are enough spiders on earth to eat every human on the planet. That's just disgusting. Completely has nothing to do with my message. Back to this. I'm in the cave, and I'm thinking, what's in here? What creature? What spider? What ugliness? And Saul comes in, and, he's, and I'm hiding from him, and I'm in a horrible place. David is there, and it's, what did he do? In response to that, he cried out to the Lord. He cried out to God because he knew God was his helper, his refuge. When you are disappointed, when you're mad at others who have let you down, when you're mad at yourself, one of the crazy things sometimes we go through hard times is we get angry. I can, I'd be so stupid. What's wrong with me? When you're mad at yourself, and maybe even when you're mad at God, I want to tell you today, because I've been there, the best, best, best place to go is to get on your face before God and to cry out to him. Express your anger to him. Why? Well, for a few reasons. One, because he already knows. He already knows what's going on. Why not be real with the one who already knows everything? But he can handle it. He can handle it. And he will hear your cry and he will be your hope. We turn to so many things, so many others. Sometimes we complain to everybody about everything. And we complain to the wrong person. And the person we need to go to is God the Father. Say, God, this sucks. I don't like this. I don't understand this. We pour out. David said, I pour out my grief, my heart to you. That's the one we need to go to because God understands, he listens, he cares, and he ultimately is the hope we all need. He can handle it. Take your pain to him. One last story, and I'm gonna have the band come and we're gonna worship and take communion together. But before I do that, let me just tell you one, I, one last example of what I've been through. I, I had written this week uh, my talk and I had 
a story at the end that I was going to share about something that happened quite a few years ago. And last night, I was actually trying to go to sleep and thinking about this message. And I was just like the Holy Spirit just whispered to my heart, you know that story you're going to tell at the end? Uh-huh. Uh, why don't you share one that's more recent? And I instantly knew what the Lord wanted me to share. And, and uh, it's still pretty raw for me. So I, 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 first service, I cried. I'm going to try to get through it without crying this time. But about five months ago, uh, I had a guy come to me uh, who... For years, not just a little short time, but for years, met every one of those qualities of a great friend. Uh, he had sacrificed for me and for our church. He, he was loyal to me. He had encouraged me countless times. And he was a dear and, and good friend to me. And he came to me, and in fact, it was right over here by the camera, uh, after a service, said, you know, hey, can we get together this week and have lunch? And I said, sure. Now, I had noticed for weeks, more, probably more likely months, that he began to distance himself uh, he began to kind of withdraw from me and withdraw from our church. And, and that week before, I'd actually heard from a mutual friend, hey, did you know that so-and-so is going to be leaving East Point? So when he came to me and said, hey, can we get together for lunch? I knew what it was about. And because of our friendship, I said, sure. Well, we met over here at Noodle Express, and it was the shortest lunch I've ever had because we sat down. He said, well, let me just cut to the chase and tell you uh, we're leaving East Point. And then he went on and on about how it's not you, Kurt. It's nothing wrong with you. And you're okay. You're great. We're still friends. I love you. And, and uh, all I'm hearing is we're leaving East Point. And by the way, uh, just so you'll know, um, I'm human, in case you're wondering. And I, I feel. And I love you guys. And I care for you. And when someone says it's not you, it's the church, they're really saying it is you. Because you are part of me and I'm a part of you. We're in the community. We're in this together. So to say it's nothing wrong with you, I just don't like, it's like saying, you know, I like you, Kurt, but I don't like your wife. Eh, that's not okay with me, you know. That's, we're going to have a talk. <laughs> so I, I, I listened, and uh, he just said, you know, what he said. And, and uh, to be honest with you, I said, well, I really don't know what to say. I, I'm sorry, I love you, and that was it. For the next week, week, I went through emotional hell. I was so disappointed. And honestly, I, I was disappointed in myself more than I was even in him. What could I have done better? What didn't I do right? Maybe I should have reached out to him. Maybe I, I and, I'm, and I'm just, you know, we internalize. I know none of you can relate to this, but we internalize all this. What's wrong with me? And I'm such an idiot and such a jerk. And if I'd only been a better friend, and on and on and on and on and on. And, I'm, and I'm, the more I thought about it, the more I got depressed and, and uh, struggled immensely. Now I'm a little bit of a slow learner. So it took me about a week to finally come to the place where I realized, okay, this is not okay. I got I to gotta, I gotta go and follow my face before God. Most of you know I come down here usually on Saturday, late afternoons or evenings. And I, that, okay, that happened like on a Tuesday. The following Saturday, I was down here. So almost a week had gone by where I just was in a mess. And I came down here and I tried to pray and walk around the room and be spiritual. And I just didn't even want to talk to God. And finally, though, I realized, it just, it hit me. Okay, boom, no, you're such an idiot. You just take this to God, take it to him. And so I actually sat back there, stopped walking, sat on the very back row, and I, the, the, the dam began to break, and I began to weep, and I began to just cry out. I'm not supposed to cry the second time. And I poured out my pain, my hurt, my anger, my frustration to God. And I don't know if you've experienced this, guys, but I gotta tell you, when you do that, 
and you, you get real with him, that's when he wraps his arms around you and says, son, I've been waiting for you to come to me. And I cannot describe for you in ways, unless you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. I sat back there in the last row, bawling like a baby. In fact, I'm sorry about the chair there because it's probably still messy. Just, just weeping. And yet in that moment, it's like God just put his arms around me and said, I love you, son. It's going to be okay. Take your pain to the one who loves you more than his own life. Take your pain to the one who gets you. Cry out to him, and that's where you'll meet him. And he'll wrap his arms around you, and he'll love you. Bye, let me pray for you. Jesus, I just thought of the moment with you in the Garden of Gethsemane. You were in agony. And in the midst of that, you were disappointed in your disciples who couldn't stay awake long enough to pray. But you loved those men. You cared for them. And eventually, Lord, every one of them but Judas understood that and came to you. Jesus, I don't know what everybody in this room is going through right now or those watching online, what they're experiencing, what great disappointment or struggle or, or battle they're in the midst of. I don't know what they're facing, but I know this. You know everything. You know them. And I know you love them, Lord. I know you love them. And so, God, I pray this morning that whatever disappointment or struggle we're facing or whatever struggle or disappointment we might face this next week, that we would come to you cry out to you that we would trust in you keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower I'm talking about trusting in God and you're saying I don't even know what that means where does, where does that start listen it starts with you making a decision you don't ooze your way into Christianity you make a choice a decision to follow yes I believe that God sent Jesus to die for me. Yes, I believe that he died for my sin. Yes, I believe that he rose again, that he lives. Yes, I believe that he wants me to follow him. Yes, I want to surrender my life to him. Yes, I will surrender my all to him and follow him into eternity. It's a decision, a choice we make to say yes to God. And if you're here today, you're watching online and you're ready and you just know, I'm sure you still have questions. We all wrestle with things that are bigger than us. I'm sure you're wondering, well, I don't know enough. I don't know everything. I understand that reality, but I know a greater reality. If you know in your Noah right now that you're loved and that God himself has offered you the free gift of salvation, and today you're ready to say yes and to take that gift, to receive that offer, that free offer of relationship with him, then I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. What's important is that you just make the choice and make these words, make this prayer your prayer right now. Father, thank you for sending Jesus for me. I get that he came for the world, but right now I see that he came for me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. Not just the sins of the world, but you died for my sins. You died for my failures. You died for my mistakes and my guilt and my shame. Thank you for that. And right now I receive, I embrace, I accept that gift, that free gift of salvation. It seems too good to be true, but God, thank you for loving me that much that you've offered me this chance to change everything.
And so right here, right now, I say yes to you. Yes, I surrender my life. Yes, I will follow you. Yes, I believe. Now, if that's you, in your own heart to say, yep, God, that's that prayer, that's my prayer. That's, that's my life. That's what I want. And the Bible says that instant, that moment you say yes to him, you become his child. You're his. You're his forever. Lord, thank you for those making that decision right here, right now. Thank you for those that will make it in, in, in the next hour or two or the next day or two, maybe as they're watching this message online a couple days from now. Lord, thank you for those that are in this moment right here making a decision to say yes to you. Show them what it means to be your child now. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Guys, it's only like 11.50 and I, we're trying to keep things a little on the short side today because we want to do something extremely important right now. And I know some of you are thinking, boy, I can get to Taco Bell before the crowds. Guys, stay. Enjoy what we're about to do because this can be life-changing for you. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion. Every week we provide it, but about once a month or so we take communion as a part of our worship service. And here's how this works in our, our, uh, our church. There are tables up front and all around the back. In fact, even in the far corner, there's a small table with gluten-free communion on it. But I'm going to invite you to, during the next two songs, so we've got plenty of time, you don't have to be in a hurry, to come to one of the tables and to take communion. There's uh, cups that are sealed. If you're kind of worried about germs, things are sealed. And there's a wafer underneath it and grape juice below. The other cups are double stacked with the, the uh, bread cracker in the second blower cup and grape juice in the top. But come to one of the tables and take a moment. Take a moment to remember what God has done for you. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And by the way, Jesus said, no, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. I said a great friend will sacrifice for you. And Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. He died for you because he loves you. Remember that today. So don't be in a hurry, but come. Take a moment even to pray here. Take communion. Enjoy this as we worship together. And we've got a couple of songs to do so, and I'll come back and wrap it up. Let's worship as we take communion together. I was fine until my friend Jesse started crying, and then we both lost it. He loves us, guys. If you leave here today with any, any understanding at all, remember how much he loves you. We've been crying, haven't we? <laughs> Thanks for being here today. Today, if you begin your life as a Christ follower, tell somebody. Let them know. On the tables by the doors, there's a plastic basket of Bibles. Make sure you get started and walk with Jesus. Pick that up. Guys, uh, invite your friends, family, people you know, you work with to come. Imagine what might happen if they come and they have a, a life-changing, eternal impact that changes everything for them. Invite them to come. Grab lots of these flyers. And then if you're a guest today, uh, your first time here, we'd love to just give you as a gift. Uh, it's my first book, Epic Grace. It's at the information counter. Stop and pick one of those up. If you need prayer, pray to me, be down front. Go this, this way instead of that way. and We'd love to pray for you. But to go, go this week and love Jesus as he has loved you. And also go tomorrow fasting and praying for the Zags. God bless you guys. See you later. <laughs>